0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tacovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots
1: today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. I've got a good podcast here for you today, but I don't. I'm really excited about the articles that came out this week on castingacross.com. And as is always the case, at the end of every episode, after I talk about what I want to talk about for 20 minutes or so, I share what those articles were on Monday and on Wednesday of that week. And I also give a recommendation of a product or a website or a social media account or somebody that is worth listening to. So all of that is coming up here at the end of the podcast. I did want to mention, The audio for the podcast has been squirrely the last few weeks. It sounds great when it leaves me, and uh, something happens between me and it showing up in your ears, so I'm trying to get to the bottom of that. I'm certainly not an audio genius or a tech wizard, but I'm doing what I can to see if I can figure that out. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to fix it retroactively, but uh, as of this recording, Um, the tests I've conducted, this sounds good. It sounds good to me. So hopefully it ends up sounding good to you. So just want to throw that out there that I am aware that there has been a loss of some audio integrity over the last few weeks on the podcast. Today, I want to talk about why you're not catching fish. Well, maybe not exactly why you are not catching fish, but a possibility as to why you're not catching fish and a reason why a lot of us don't catch fish. And it has to do with speed and patience, speed and patience. So they kind of go together, and I'm going to explore both of them kind of interchangeably. So hopefully this is a quasi-linear explanation and gives you something to troubleshoot when you're out on the water if you're having a hard time. So something that I advocate is really figuring out what you are doing with any particular presentation. So I'll give you a great example. Um, there was a spring creek that I used to fish quite a bit when I lived in Pennsylvania. There's a number of spring creeks that I fished quite a bit when I lived in Pennsylvania. In fact, everyone who lived in the area I lived in fished quite a bit of spring creeks. Anyway, I wanted to learn how to fish dry flies for trout that weren't rising. All right. So I know that fish will rise to flies under certain conditions, even if there's not an active hatch going on if there's not an emergence of aquatic insects, which obviously that's when fish are going to go after dry flies. But I think we've all been around to see fish rise randomly where they take one bug and there's no bugs in the air. There's not a lot of bugs in the water and they might only take one bug and you sit there and you wait and watch for that next little nose to pop up through the water uh, or that next splash to see if you can figure out what's going on and, and how to pattern them. And, uh, so I was intrigued by this possibility of, you know what, there's fish that are doing this all over the place. And I don't think it's terrestrials. Uh, I think it's just that random mayfly or that random caddisfly that just so happens to land. And it became my mission to try to at least begin to crack the code of how and why these fish rise at random times. And, uh, there's, there's some books on this, some, some really good books. Uh, maybe that'll be this week's recommendation. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Hold me to it if I don't bring that up at the end of the podcast. So I spent a lot of time figuring this out, which meant there's been a lot of time of not catching fish where I saw big fish that were hanging out. You could see like a fin or a tail uh, sticking out under a weed bed. And I knew that there was absolutely no way I was going to get these fish to rise to the fly um, that, that I was presenting to them. I mean, they weren't going to move out into the middle of the stream to take a, a, a nymph, let alone the rise to a dry fly. The, the ways to catch those fish, those fish that were down deep in those weeds was to pull a streamer in front of their face. And I knew that, or at least I had a very good idea that that would be the case, but that's not what I wanted to figure out at that time. So I spent days weeks, months, using this as my primary fishing technique. I mean, there are situations where if there's a hatch going on and say, all right, well, there's a bunch of sulfur's coming off. I'm going to tie in my little uh, black caddis because I want to you know, prove a point. No, I, I would fish it to catch fish, but I spent a lot of time and I felt like uh, I was being pretty patient. And I don't think I'm necessarily a patient person by nature. But I was relatively patient in this situation. And I was fishing uh, slowly also in the sense that I was being very deliberate, trying to find fish that were holding in certain positions. Um, fish that were maybe only a few inches below the surface, uh, taking uh, nymphs, or fish that were um, you know down in a feeding lane in like two feet of water, but you could tell uh, by their body language and again, talking about a fish's body language is a whole other topic, but you probably know what, what I mean if you fish enough. Um, trying to see if they were kind of in an active feeding uh, situation and casting to those fish. So, so fishing slowly in the sense that I was doing a lot more looking than I was casting, and then when I cast and I didn't get the result I wanted, I didn't change. I went on to the next next you know uh, set of of uh, um, water, and I would eye that up and take a long time, and then make, make another cast. So fishing slowly and fishing patiently. Now, sometimes that's what you need to do. If you're trying to hone in on a particular tactic or technique, uh, if you are trying to figure out a particular stream, if there is a fish that you know is there and you really want to get to it, then there is a lot of virtue in being patient and fishing slowly. However, as I already admitted, that doesn't always translate into catching fish. And with that particular example, trying to find these uh, trout that would rise uh, to, to a dry fly when there wasn't a lot going on. And I know you're, maybe you're thinking, well, you're probably should have just fished, um, dress which, you know what? Yes, that would have been an easier way to do it. But I wanted to fish with mayflies and flies and get these fish to rise randomly. Uh, I was trying to figure that out. And again, scratch the surface of that a little bit, certainly didn't figure it out, but it was a lot of fun, especially in hindsight. Those days it was pretty frustrating. Um, so I was not catching a lot of fish though. When I was doing that. And that was okay because I had a particular goal in mind. If I wanted to catch fish, then my patience would have actually been to the detriment of the catching of the fish, saying, you know what, I'm just going to stick with this and I'm, I'm going to make it work the reality is, is you can't will fish into the boat. You can't f- will fish into the net. You can't will fish even to come to your fly. Uh, I think that's a great example of it is fishing a dry fly. Um, uh, most trout streams, most trout will not rise on certain days. Uh, m- most of them, you know, nine out of 10 fish aren't going to look up. Um, depending on the weather, depending upon the pressure, depending upon what's happening in their little ecosystem as it re- relates to their food source and the temperature of the water and all those things. And so it, it's just not a high probability approach to take on most streams. It was a very low probability approach to take on this particular spring creek, but I, I it was at least a, um, a, a quantity that I knew existed. Empirically, I knew that I had a chance of, of catching fish and a decent chance, even though it was low. Um, so I think that patience can be to your detriment. Uh, there is not virtue in grinding away with one particular fly, with one particular rig, with one particular approach, streamer, dry, um, midge, nymph, etc., cetera, et cetera, Um, simply for the sake of doing it. If the ga- the goal is catching fish, if you want to get better in that approach, then that's great. But if you want to catch fish, then be aware that as great as it is to really try to nail down and become proficient at one type of angling, that, that isn't necessarily a one-to-one ratio of catching fish. So that's where patience can be a detriment. Um, and and I would say the other side of this is going back to dry flies. Now, a lot of people love the idea of catching trout on dry flies. And I mean, I, you should, you know, you, you've got to have something wrong on the head if you if you would rather catch fish on nymphs, to be honest with you, I know there's, I've got friends that, that are, have that thing wrong on their head. So that don't take that as an insult. Um, but if that's where you want to be, realize there's certain days, many days where that is not going to be the most productive approach. And so if you have it in your head that this is how I'm going to fly fish, then you have to be okay with maybe not catching as many trout. And and that's okay. So that's where being patient and fishing slow is going to slow you down. Another aspect of, of slow is just the, 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 the ever-present guide maxim of that you are not going to catch fish without your fly in the water. So your fly needs to be in the water if you want to catch a fish. So if you're fishing slowly and you are taking your time and really getting to, into position and making a cast and stopping and eyeing things up and casting again uh, after after a little bit of a break. Um then although you're being deliberate and you're probably taking a great approach, you are reducing the opportunities to catch fish. Now, of course, the flip side of this is fishing too fast. And I think we've all seen this person who, like, they don't even stop moving. Like, they're in this constant state of walking and casting and walking and casting. And although there are situations where that works, particularly larger rivers or rivers with a high gradient where you can be moving and casting and you're not going to be disturbing fish, By and large, that's one end of the spectrum. So being too deliberate and too slow if one is that's one polar end, then not stopping, not uh, being discerning about where you're stepping or where you're casting or where your back cast is, is the other end of the spectrum. And they both end up with the the same result, which is that you are missing opportunities at fish. One is because your fly's not in the water, the other is because your fly is in the water in a haphazard manner. And so that's where you see, again, you know, where I said patience and speed where your speed really does matter and you will be missing fish. You will not be even having opportunities at fish. If you're fishing too slowly because you're just not going to have your fly in the water or if you're fishing too fast, you are, are, you're pulling it past them. Um, there's fish that you probably, you're not even spooking. I I don't want to, to, uh, make it sound like the only way that you can miss out on opportunities for fish when you're fishing fast is by like wading through their pool or spooking them because you're moving too much. You can have fish that want a more subtle approach. They maybe need to see that fly two or three times coming through their, their feeding lane, or as we've all had the experience, maybe 10 or 12 times, and then they decide to bite. I mean, have you've ever had that experience where you, you cast in a hole And for whatever reason, I mean, you're, you're thinking about something else or you're just convinced there's a fish there and you make the exact same cast, the exact same presentation. And it goes through that hole 10 times, 20 times. And then on the 21st time, the fish comes out and and hits it. Why is that? Maybe that fish has just gotten sick and tired of it. Maybe you've tricked the fish into thinking that there's a hatch going on. Uh, that, that that there's a a bug moving through the water. You know, it's basically the uh, shadow cast uh, approach that uh, Brad Pitt made so popular. Only I think it's much more viable with nymphs and streamers than it is with uh, with dry flies. But uh, I, I think that's that is a example of where. You could be fishing fast. You can be casting. You can be constantly moving, cast men, cast men, cast men, but you are slow in the sense that you're focusing on one spot. If you are convinced there's a fish there, then fish that until your heart is content. Just don't be patient to the point of absurdity. I mean, 20 casts might be a lot depending on the stream. 100 casts is probably a lot regardless of where you are. Um, I was fishing down in Arkansas. This was years ago. And there was a very large rock in the middle of the stream. And because there is fish everywhere in this river, I was confident there was at least one good-sized fish around this rock. Uh, but because the depth of the water between me and that rock was a certain, uh, uh distance, um, uh, well, the depth was deep and there's a certain distance because the, the depth was deep. I couldn't get any closer to, to the rock. And because the currents were funky around the rocks, there's a large rock. I couldn't get a great presentation. So I spent a lot of time casting, getting into position finding the exact perfect position to cast upstream of this rock to make sure that my fly got to depth um, by the time it got to that rock, but because the cast was so long and because the currents were funky, maybe it one out of every five casts provided the presentation that I thought would put that fly where that fish should be on the tail end of that rock in a certain seam. And so I made Dozens of casts. But out of those dozens of casts, you know, only a fifth of them were probably getting in front of that fish. So even though I say I made 60 casts, then maybe only twelve of those casts went in front of where I wanted that fly to be. So that might have seemed to a casual observer like I was spending a lot of time casting this one rock. But because I had taken the slow approach, to, to figuring out where I thought a fish was and the fast approach to making all of those casts, I, I eventually got that fly down where I wanted a number of times and I was patient enough that I ended up catching a fish. It wasn't a huge fish. It was like an 18-inch fish, but still, it was that satisfaction of I knew there was a fish there. I knew that that kind of presentation was going to to yield a fish. Could it have been that a fish had moved from another position and the first time it saw that fly it took? Uh, absolutely. Could it have not been the exact presentation I thought I was making because I was you know, 50 feet away and fishing a uh, submerged fly? Maybe, but I'm going to convince myself that it was because I was fishing in a deliberate manner in kind of a combination of a slow and fast approach. The flip side of being too patient is being impatient and this is something that i think we're all probably aware of and that is if you don't stick with something it's very hard to diagnose what the problem is so i'm a believer in especially when it comes to you know uh, the particulars of a, a a subsurface fly or a dry fly that the pattern is not as important as the presentation. I would say that when it comes to pattern um, silhouette is way more important than certain things like like size and color. Uh, for example, I think I talked about this in a dry fly episode a while ago, a size 14 in a very light color is going to accomplish the same as a size 16 in a very dark color. Um, and that has to do with the silhouette of a fly, particularly if you're fishing in, in a, a light day, whether it's bright sunshine or it's just uh, overcast and there's a lot of light there. So I think that you have a lot of flexibility in the Kind of fly you fish the pattern of fly you fish, um, but you need to focus more on the presentation of that. So a fly with a few less ribs um, drifting through a hole, uh, a, a nymph with a few less ribs than a a natural uh, um, you know caddisfly imitation uh, that's fish without drag is going to outproduce a beautifully like museum quality uh, caddisfly imitation. I'm not sure how many caddisfly in them imitations are in museums, but I think you get my drift. Uh, no, get my drift, get it. Anyway, so uh, if, if you are changing patterns over and over and over again, if you know that guy who ties on a new fly every five casts because he hasn't caught a fish, and he uh, guaran- is, is, is guaranteed in his head, you know, he's convinced that, uh, that the right fly in that box is the key to unlocking all the fish, Uh, that might be indicative of a lack of patience for figuring out exactly what those fish are looking for. Now, there are certainly times when changing patterns is going to be the key, but it is not as cut and dry as that, Um, especially if you're just fishing a very normal day where there's not some sort of remarkable insect activity going on. As long as you're fishing something that is relatively uh, close in shape, color, size, of what is in that stream, you fishing it well and figuring out if you're fishing it well, and, and being patient in that regard, not being impatient and just saying, "Not a prince, try a zug bug. Not a zug bug, try a, a hair's ear. Not a hair's ear, try a stone fly. Uh, you know, try a flashback. Try a tungsten head. Try a gold head. Try a glass head." And you're doing that, you know, every ten minutes, you're probably missing out on paying a little bit better attention to how you're fishing that fly you're going to really, really benefit from watching what's happening. And that might be the fly, if you're in a position to see the fly. Fish, if you're in a position to see the fish and their response to it. But at the bare minimum, you can watch your line. And if you're using a strike indicator or some sort of cider, you're able to pay attention to those things. And drag is the killer of most nymphing. Dry flies as well. Um, And so if you're able to watch that and dial in getting a good natural drift, if that's what you want, that can be helpful. I can remember one particular example, fishing a high gradient stream in Maryland and getting up on a rock and, and being just obscured, completely obscured. Fish couldn't see me, fish couldn't see my, my rod, or at least I think they couldn't. And being able to cast over and over again uh, using a um, a big buggy nymph and watching them and watching their response to that thing as it tumbled like weightlessly, where there's a little bit of slack in my line and how they would respond to that, their body language. Again, that, that idea of fish body language, the way that they move their heads and their fins and their tails, when that thing would tumble around, how they would chase up to it and, and kind of nose it, uh, could could a couple of, of hits at it, uh, as opposed to times when it kind of shot through or times where it uh, moved kind of against the current. Um, it looked like it was still moving Downstream, from upstream to downstream, how you expect a fly to move uh, or anything else that was moving through the water to move, but watching the other debris in that same hole and how it was moving because of those microcurrents, because of some of the funky stuff that was happening, because of the contours of the bottom and the rocks that were in the pool, being able to watch that fly in relation to the other debris that was in there and realizing that just casting to the head of the pool and, and assuming because the fly was moving in trajectory towards the tail of the pool that it was drag free just because it wasn't being pulled sideways from my fly line, that wasn't enough, that there was actually a lot more slack I had to put into my men's to make sure that fly was moving in a natural way. I don't think I caught fish that day. So it's kind of a a failure in that sense, but it got me thinking a lot more, thinking patiently and fishing slowly, uh, but, but in a way where I was getting that fly in the water enough that I could see what was going on. Hopefully that's some helpful stuff for you to think about as you are heading out to that new stream uh, this springtime, as you're going back to that same stream that you've been to a thousand times that you're just not having the same kind of luck on that you'd like. Uh, But think about that. Think about how fast you're fishing. Think about your patience. Uh, Most of fishing is what you are doing in your head, what's translating to what you're doing with your body, um, and that's all you can control. Uh, You can control your fly pattern a little bit, uh, but you can't control what the fish are doing at all. So uh, you can really get good at casting, but if you don't have the patience and you're fishing too fast, then it doesn't matter if you're really good at casting. So try to work on that fly fishing muscle in between your ears and how that translates into what you do on the water. Any thoughts? Let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. Always happy to hear. This week's castingacross.com articles first one was called fly fishing books 12 so this is my 12th article uh, uh, formally on on fly fishing books where i give four recommendations some great books uh, in in this week's selections uh, and the cool thing about these is that i positioned each one to kind of uh be what someone might think is like a second choice there's a newer version of the book. Uh, there's a online version of this resource. Uh, and uh, there's a movie about this, this this story. But there's good reasons to go and pick up these books. And you can find them online for cheap. And I, of course, put links to the Amazon listing. I always am a huge fan of finding them locally, at like a bookseller, buying from the author. But if some of these books that I list are out of print. And Amazon's a great resource for finding a used copy of it uh, um, especially in hardback with a pretty, pretty, uh, dust jacket. So check those out. And as always, if you have recommendations for books, something that I haven't written about a castingacross.com, then don't hesitate to let me know, reach out, uh, again, Matthew at castingacross.com, use the contact form on the website and let me know if, uh, if you've got a book that you think I should read, um, or if you're an author and you have a book that you think I should uh, talk about happy to happy to share that. Wednesday's article was called Real Nippers Worth an Extra $6. So I continue to wade back into the most controversial aspect of fly fishing gear, and that is nippers. And you know what? I have $100 nippers. I have $75 nippers. I have $30 nippers. And I have nippers that cost me only $6.01 more than a pair of fingernail clippers. And you take away my expensive ones, and I'm fine with those, and I will gladly spend another $7.00 and fifty cents. If I lose these, as opposed to using fingernail clippers, I get that some people see this, you know, heroic image of the uh, discreet and inconspicuous uh, fly angler that uses nail clippers instead of branded uh, nippers. But I just don't buy it. And for seven dollars fifty cents, you know, the amount of money for uh, two cups of coffee, I think you're okay going with the name brand fly fishing nippers. This week's recommendation, as I alluded to earlier in the podcast, is a book. It is Vincent Marinaro's In the Ring of the Rise. In the Ring of the Rise. And this is a just fantastic book from 1976 that focuses on Marinaro and some of his cohorts uh, attempts to figure out why fish rise and how fish rise. And, uh, the photography is fantastic given it's from the 1970s. Um, but it was just ahead of its time regarding, uh, not only the concept, but also how it was being recorded and how it was being studied. So you can pick up used copies. I'm looking right now, 20 bucks, 17 bucks, 30 bucks, um, all over the place online. It's definitely a book worth picking up. If you're a fly fisher, if you're a mid-Atlantic fly fisher or a Pennsylvania fly fisher, it is a uh, mandate that this ends up in your library. Great book. I'll put a link to just probably Amazon's listing of it on castingacross.com on the show notes for this podcast's page. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of the fish.